listening to the Fish on Ted podcast with your host, Ted Johnson. Well, hi, this is Ted Johnson. And before we start today's podcast, I'd like to give a quick shout out to a couple of our supporters. George Shower, who is the Pocono Outdoors guy, has been a friend and advocate of the Fish on Ted podcast and our sister company, Marketing for Guides, for a couple of years now. George broadcasts his own podcast live every Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Facebook Live. He then posts his episode on his YouTube channel, of course, called The Pocono Outdoors Guy. Along with being a podcast host, George is also a well-known outdoor writer and outdoor videographer. To find out more about George's services, go to his website at www.poconooutdoorsguy.com. I'd also like to recognize Short Bus Flashers, who is based in Oregon. JT Gillette started Short Bus Flashers just over 10 years ago, and it has become the premier manufacturer of salmon fishing flashers on the West Coast. If you like catching salmon, you need to visit www.shortbusflashers.com and take a look at all the flashers and the hundreds of shapes and color combinations that are available. Well, hello, this is Ted Johnson with the Fish on Ted podcast. I want to thank everyone for tuning in today. If you're looking at your calendar, this interview is taking place just about the first week of December of 2020. Now, if you, if you think back, 2020, what was going on? Oh, yeah, that darn COVID thing. And, yep, we're kind of right in the middle of it. Some people are saying that we're having the second spike and we're coming off of the Thanksgiving holiday and into the Christmas holiday and the news is just all filled with all of this crazy speculation about what's going on and we just can't get that vaccine soon enough and so we're excited to to see that maybe there's some light at the end of the tunnel but right now we're still in the drugs of it but you know what fishing is still going on and people are catching a tremendous amount of fish some of our clients who are guides and lodges and charter um, uh, captains are having their best years ever. It's been really interesting. People are really starting to kind of go back to their roots and stop doing some of the things that in their free time that they were doing that exposed them to a lot of people and getting back involved in the outdoors and in fishing in particular. And the the amount of fishermen that we're seeing licensing and uh, buying tackle and equipment, gosh, that, a lot of the stores have just nothing on the shelves right now because it's been so popular. And it, it's really a nice you know, revitalization of the sport that we all love. And so this has kind of been an exciting time in that regard. If you, um, if you try to put a spin on, there's been an exciting time in the middle of the world pandemic. So anyway, without further ado, I am going to uh, uh, introduce you to our, our guest today. I've been excited to speak with him. He's really involved in the industry in many different facets. He's a fishing guide in Oregon. He's been involved in the fishing community for years and years, and also has a real unique product out there um, or service that he provides to guides and fishermen. And so without further ado, Bob Reese, are you there? Hi, nice to have nice to be on your program, Ted. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate uh, you carving out a part of your Sunday to uh, 
come and talk with us. How are, uh, how's everything in the world of fishing right now? Well, we've had, uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, we had a good summer of fishing. Uh, July, August, and September were pretty productive. And then as uh, I moved a little bit further down the coast at Tillamook, it became a little more challenging after mid-October. But those that were most persistent, as is usually the case, um, scored some nice Chinook this year. And um, everybody's already looking forward to next year. So I think uh, 2021, for a lot of different reasons, is going to be a good year for fishermen. I, you know, I've got that same feeling that we're coming into a, um, you know, to a pretty good, you know, uh, uh, a year for the, you know, fishing community and for the guides and charters. There seems to be fish coming in, and uh, it's kind of an exciting time for everybody. So, Bob, you you fish primarily Oregon, is that right? Yeah, I'm a sixth generation Oregonian, and um, wow. you know, it's been been a while since I uh, um, shook my my the idea that I was going to be moving to Pennsylvania, where I uh, learned to love the outdoors, visiting my grandparents back there every other summer. Oh, really? They had all the fish and fish and wildlife everybody could uh, think they'd ever need back there. But then when I started learning uh, everything that Oregon had to offer, I, I decided that. Uh, I will indeed quit pricing motor homes in the first grade and maybe set some roots up and throw an anchor out in Oregon. So I'm going to, I'm going to continue to be a sixth generation Oregonian. Good for you. So you started out thinking you were a Pocono guy, huh? Well, yeah. I mean, everything I learned about fish and wildlife, I learned from my grandfather back in Pennsylvania and uh, he had a nice little deer camp and, a trout stream behind the deer camp and so that was my kind of my first experiences with the outdoors and literally in the first grade I was pricing motorhomes because as soon as I got my uh, driver's license I was going to be packing up and heading east where all things were good in Pennsylvania but uh, then, then came across a poster that the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife had put out and found out that indeed we had um, quite a bevy of wildlife here in Oregon and then started mm -hmm. learning about the salmon and steelhead that that happened here and uh the rest is history oh that's cool man so when you moved back to oregon or moved to oregon uh where where did you grow up oh yeah well i, I never moved from anywhere i'm a sixth generation oregonian i grew up in northeast oh. portland uh oh, but just it. visited okay. uh my yeah, I just visited my grandfolks back in Pennsylvania every other summer, and so oh, that's okay. that's where I learned about uh, the outdoors. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty confident I'll be a lifelong Oregonian. I would imagine if you've made it this far, that's for sure. So you you started <laughs> guiding how long ago, Bob? Thirty years ago, started guiding in. 1991 in um, a place in Alaska. I actually graduated college in East Portland at uh, Mount Hood Community College. Got a degree in fisheries. Uh, took a, a series of seasonal jobs with the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife and the National Marine Fisheries Service between Oregon and Alaska. And then in 1991, had an opportunity to guide up at a remote lodge in Alaska, a place called Unalakleet. And there I started my, cut my teeth on guiding. And uh, while well, I was always skipping out of work early at uh, the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife job. So I knew uh, that may not have been a long-term career move for me because uh, I was always wanting to go fishing. So um, 
I, I met a series of guides over my history of being a creel checker for Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife. And um, uh, soon after, uh, starting in 91 is when I started guiding up uh, up at Unalakleet. And then the subsequent five years, I guided on the Kenai River. So got my taste of what uh, big salmon really are like up there. I'll be darned. Now, you mentioned an area or a town or a river I have never heard of in Alaska. What's it called again? Yeah, and you know, there's so many places to fish up there, of course. Not, not Nobody's going to know them all, but this place is called Unalakleet, not too far from Nome in Norton Sound, north of the Alaska Peninsula. Just a really remote lodge. Um, I, I imagine it's more popular now, but wild Chinook and coho fishing, not to mention pinks and chum salmon was off the charts. Wow, no kidding. So you said it's it's north of Nome? Uh, no, it's south, about 250 miles southeast of Nome, but north of the Olympic Peninsula. Oh, oh, got it. Uh, got I'm it. sorry, Alaska, Alaska Peninsula. Well, right. north of the Olympic Peninsula. <laughs> no kidding. I've um, I've been up into uh, oh the Dillingham area and King Salmon and the Nushagak and I've played around a little bit um, further north from that, but I've never been out to where you're talking about and always wanted to go. That sounds like a, a just an incredible place to go fishing. Yeah, really remote and populations of fish are, are incredible. So, you know, catching, I mean, the Nishigak in and of itself is legendary, but uh, a guy that uh, could, was willing to work at it would not have a problem catching 50 Chinook in a day on the, you know, the cleat. And Holy toe God. salmon, literally a fish of cast. Really, no kidding, and and obviously it's a fly-in opportunity, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right, and that's that's we were the only lodge on the Unalakleet, um, but there were now I understand there's several fly-in operations that go utilize the Unalakleet now. So uh -huh. I'm sure it's much different. It's been 30 years since I've been up there, but uh, I'm sure wow. that the fishing is still pretty impressive. Wow! So you were up there in the early 90s then. Yep, in the early '90s, and then from '92 to '96, I guided on the on the Kenai River. After that, oh, you did. Oh, okay, were you uh, were you chasing salmon or trout or what? Both. Yeah, my passion, of course, was Chinook salmon, and a chance at the next world record, but uh, didn't come uh, too close to the 97 pound world record up there. But did get a biggest one was uh, 71 pounds and. 13 wow. fish over 60 including that 71 pounder so wow um, yeah it was uh, an incredible experience that must be incredible i mean I've, I've never caught a salmon i think i got a salmon in the high 40s um but nothing close to 71 that is amazing man yeah it's uh after seeing the spring chinook down here this is even you know 25 years ago when we had larger spring chinook than we have now right going from 12 to 20 pound springers to the first 50 pounder that hit the fillet table was a, a drastic difference they're just a they're just a different animal up there and you know once you get them 50 to 60 pounds and i've seen them as big as uh, 80 pounds up there it's um uh -huh. it's really something you got to see to believe no pictures do it justice yeah isn't that the truth isn't that the truth so then you started uh, what guiding in oregon about about what year 
1996. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, this will this will be uh, my how doing the math right 25 years yeah this will be my 25th year in the business in oregon yep wow no kidding and primarily all on the northwest uh, uh side of oregon yep i've uh guided um the willamette uh willamette rivers columbia and uh tillamook bay spend a lot of time on tillamook bay and and love uh love fishing in the ocean when it's uh, safe and comfortable to do so mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Yep, those are my primary areas, and well, then of cool. course the the North Coast uh, systems from the Nakanakum River and Seaside down to the Nestucca, uh uh-huh. south of Tillamook. There. Wow. So you you've got a you've got a really good feel for the the fisheries in the Northwest, which kind of takes us into a segue into um, this wonderful service that um, I found out that you have been offering for a number of years. Um, which is the the guide's forecast. Can you can you tell us how that uh, sort of came about? Yeah, it's an interesting story. Um, when I was uh, checking fish for the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, um, we have a lot of time in between interviews, and so your mind can wander in different directions. And I think I've always kind of had a bit of an entrepreneurial spirit about my about myself, and I just um, started thinking things through and back then there was quite a little newsletter craze going on um 25 years ago and um actually 30 years ago when i was checking fish and then um when i got i had just started so as a fish checker we have a lot of uh, access to uh, you know creel information about how the fishing is and what section of the river and i thought there were good ways to utilize that since people were asking me 40 50 times a day how's the fishing so um, the electronic age was just on the on the cusp there and so um, I started a a newsletter it wasn't electronic back then it was paper Uh, a friend of mine who worked for the statewide paper the Oregonian back in the day kind of helped me put some things together and I was rolling out uh, on uh, kind of a template a paper template mm-hmm. rolling out a weekly newsletter and sending it out to people and it was quite labor intensive and then when i got my first opportunity to go guide in alaska um that was the end of the the paper version of the newsletter since i was heading out to do my dream job and so sure. kind of put it on the side burner and then when i came back and i was starting my own business that's when the, the internet was just kind of kicking up and my brother Doug, uh, 13 years older than me, um, said, uh, "Well, I want to build you a website." And so I was like, "Sure, I'll be interesting to see what happens with that." And mm-hmm. um, he built a website, and he told me that uh, you know you need to put fishing reports on this website to get more attention. And I was like, "Well, I've done that before, but you know, what do you say you and I start a business and do exactly that?" And so he. Um, He's uh, been the administrative side of the guide's forecast, and I've been the one providing a good deal of the content with the help of some other writers we have here in Oregon and Southwest Washington now. And uh, that was over 20 years ago that we started the guide's forecast, and it's kind of been somewhat low-key. We started off, you know, my main motivation was to engage people and get them activated into fishery issues and um, you know, encourage them to be, be part of the advocacy community that we just so desperately needed then uh-huh. and we even more desperately need now. 
um, it was a little disappointing that there weren't a lot of people that were showing up at the commission meetings and the board of forestry with me. So we decided that, you know, if we're going to put time into this, we might as well get, uh, get paid for it. So, sure. um, as I mentioned, Doug, um, started, uh, working the, the admin side and, uh, side of it and developing the, the website of it. And I didn't have any problem providing content specifically for the Northwest corner of the state and the areas that I fish and the contacts I made. And so, you know, 20 years ago, it was, uh, the guide's forecast was born and, and it still exists today because it's fun and it's uh, worth our time. Oh, absolutely. So how has it evolved? What is, what does the guide's uh, forecast look like now? And, and the reason I say that um, is that um, I started getting some emails from you and that sort of thing. And I was just blown away about all of the great information that you're providing uh, to fishermen on a free basis. And then there's this subscription side that just kind of adds the icing to the cake. And, and so what, what's all in this forecast? How often is it uh, and, and how often is it sent out, Bob? Yeah, so we uh, we do send it out every Thursday night um, to our subscribers, and we have two versions of the newsletter. The free version is probably around 1,500 to 1,700 words, and we send that out to anybody who has signed up for the free version of the newsletter. It has a uh -huh. lot of good detail in it, uh, mostly on a reporting side, but the real benefit comes from the paid subscribers that pay just $24.95 for, we uh, guarantee a minimum of 50 issues, but in reality, we're often uh, producing a report every week, so 50 to 52 issues a year. And um, the real benefit comes from those that, that do purchase a subscription for, you know, about 50 cents a week is what it ends up being. Right. Uh, and we give a forecast, a detailed forecast of how the fishing is likely to be over the weekend and into the coming week. So based on 30 years of knowledge of paying attention to these fisheries and when the run timing is and what water conditions are gonna trigger what actions by the fish, we can give a pretty detailed, um, and if you look at our testimonials, you'll see that uh, folks are really pleased with the product we put out, a pretty detailed forecast about what anglers should expect over the course of what weekend and what weeks uh, over the course of the year. Wow, that's cool. Now, now do you have others that contribute to, uh, uh, to the newsletter on a, on a weekly basis? Yes, we do. Um, it would, would be impossible to do it without uh, their expertise and yeah. uh, drive as well. So we have a fellow by the name of Tim Moran who uh, reports on Central and Eastern Oregon fishing, uh, excellent fly fisherman, really passionate about it, loves to write for us. Um, and so he covers Central and Eastern Oregon. Then we have a really knowledgeable guide by the name of Jeff Stoger, who reports specifically on the Sandy River and a little bit on the Clackamas as well. Uh -huh. um, and so uh, we have those folks. And then uh, we do get some information over the course of our 20-year history. We've had other people do some writing for us too, um, but we're always looking for people who are experts in their specific corner of the state of Oregon, and sure. most recently, we've expanded into southwest Washington. Ever since we started the guide's forecast, there's been a lot of anglers in southwest Washington that have been 
calling for information up there. And we just typically took the information that we got off of the uh, Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife website. But uh, we've hired on um, Terry Otto, who's been a well-known outdoor writer for decades. Right. And he's taken on the Southwest Washington portion of the report and doing an excellent job up there. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Wow. Gosh, sounds like you got a, a a lot of great coverage in the in the in the Northwest. That's awesome. Yeah, we you know, like I say, we do have we do have some some gaps that we could get some improvement for for Southwest Washington in particular. But if you're you know, the bulk of our fishermen and our audience happens in the on the Oregon coast, specifically the Northwest corner, as well as Willamette Valley and up to Bonneville Dam and Bowie 10 and the ocean. And so we get uh, spend a lot of time just detailing the fisheries in, in those regions. And that's what our, our folks really appreciate. Oh, that's awesome, man. So do you have a particular style of fishing that, is, that, the, that the newsletter is sort of geared towards, or is it just fishing in general? You know, um, I mean, there's a lot of applicability that happens based on when the fish are going to run where. And so it is, um, it is easy for folks, whether you're bank fisherman or a, a boat angler to decipher when is it good to fish where, but in all reality, me uh, being a, a fishing guide, um, it is a bit biased towards the boat angler. Okay. And so, um, yeah, it is, it is definitely, um, a point there where we could use more bank angling information, even though we all cut our teeth fishing in the Pacific Northwest off the bank. And I can, I still, uh, still do some limited bank fishing, but, um, again, you know, we have a lot of applicability because when fish run, fish run, you know, boat and bank anglers have access to them. But overall, you can imagine through the summer months, um, bank anglers don't have a bevy of opportunities available to them because of low water and, right. you know, that uh, fish are harder to access than when they're not running up the rivers. So, um, yeah, that is the case with the guides forecast. Uh -huh. You know, over the years, I mean, gosh, if you span back to, you know, 30 plus years of being in the business and in Oregon in particular, what, what are some of the biggest things that you've seen change over those 30 years? Well, it is drastic, and that's a great question, and somewhat disappointing is the fact that we've had some of the, the same sort of story was played out back in the days when we had gill netting and a lot of the coastal estuaries, um, where when the, the runs got depleted in the freshwater ecosystems, that's when the commercial troll fleet was developed, and they started pursuing salmon offshore in the ocean. And so the same sort of thing has started to happen here uh, in recent years where the the general angler, especially ones who are trying to start out, who don't have the capabilities or the interest to invest in a boat and get after them on the big bigger bodies of water, we've lost some very important opportunities in freshwater systems, such as the Clackamas River is a prime example. Back when I was checking fish in the late 80s, it wouldn't be uncommon to catch between three and 4,000 spring Chinook per year out of the Clackamas River. And in recent years, there's probably been less than two dozen spring Chinook caught each year 
on the Clackamas River. The run is just absolutely flatlined. Um, there used to be a very robust bank and boat fishery on the Clackamas River that is non-existent to this day. And so um, we're in a situation where the, the brood stock for the Clackamas River is not performing well. Um, you can imagine uh, we're starting to see this transition now, thank goodness, but um, we're seeing a, a pretty poor product coming out of uh, several uh, of Oregon's hatcheries, uh, broodstock that has been inbred generation after generation. Um, they don't have high survival rates because of poor water quality. Right. But the, the shiny star on the horizon is that some of these um, watersheds, again, the Clackamas being the prime example, we're seeing incredible uh, rebounding of wild stocks of fish, spring chinook, uh, this fall uh, right. coho salmon, and steelhead. All of the wild variety are making incredible comebacks that are far outpacing recovery rates than any other watershed in the entire Columbia Basin. Okay. And so what that enables us to do if um, – the agency uh, has um, their wits about them, and they do, frankly. I'm, I'm pretty proud of the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife. They're starting to look at these wild stocks as an opportunity to reinvigorate our hatchery runs. And it looks as if we'll get to legally take a small percentage of wild spring chinook from a robust population and reintegrate them into hatchery stock, therefore um, drastically improving return rates uh, spatially um, distribute distribution, which will allow them to come back over a longer period of time versus all in the same two weeks. Uh -huh. And uh, the biteability, uh, everything with these wild fruit stock programs that we've seen shows a drastic improvements in hatchery fitness. And therefore, um, uh, that's the that's the future. When we uh, secure a strong enough wild populations of fish where we can reinvigorate the hatchery runs in those same basins. We're not necessarily looking to take out a basin stock. We've learned that lesson already, mm -hmm. but we're starting to see the same sort of things happen with um, coho on the coast where the Tillamook Basin, they're going to take about 30% of their broodstock this year from wild populations of coho salmon. They started taking some wild steelhead from the North Fork Nahalem River to reinvigorate that run. And then the history we have on that with the Nestucca and the Wilson River programs, those programs have been taking wild fish for 13 or 14, maybe even 15 years, and we're having a very positive um, signs of robust fisheries that happen with hatchery stocks because their parents are of wild origin. Interesting. Interesting. You know, I'm uh, obviously uh, I'm, I'm from Oregon also, a little bit further down in the Willamette Valley. Um, but I'm just curious to ask you the question about the recent fires and what's going to be happening or what you foresee happening with the, re, you know, the return of uh, the salmon into the, the Willamette and, and its tributaries. Do you think that's going to get affected by what's gone on in Oregon the last year? Well, it's hard to say that, uh, you know, those runs of Willamette fish have already grossly underperformed in recent years. Um, the Spring Chinook run on the Willamette River is in the tank. Mm -hmm. We plant about 5.5 million hatchery smolts into the Willamette Basin, and we are seeing on a good year returns of 
45 to 55, maybe 65,000 adults. That's about one half of 1% return rate for those fish. Wow. It's another classic example of fish that are not surviving in warm water temperatures uh, that is also loaded with bacteria and um, parasites that affect their migration and their survival rates. But um, we have in the upper basin uh, such a depleted return of wild salmon that a wild broodstock program in the upper basin on the Sandy Ams and the McKenzie Rivers are still quite a ways off. We may never get to see that kind of opportunity because the wild runs are so depleted right now. Mm -hmm. We may never get the federal check mark check box to to take wild fish because of how critically low those populations currently are. Right. So you add in the detrimental effects of what the fire has done to those watersheds and it just becomes a bigger wild card. I mean, the water quality is already um, pretty uh, compromised in many of those watersheds. Then you've lost um, the functionality of a lot of high quality riparian areas in some of those watersheds and things um, don't look overly promising for uh, fish in those basins, so. Yeah, I know it's sort of been on this kind of downhill slide and, and with the fires, and just the devastation that's happened, um, even at the hatcheries, uh, especially on the McKinsey. It, uh, it's really a crying shame that you're right, probably uh, our generation won't see a you know, rejuvenation of the way the, you know, the fish populations were back in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, it really is a shame. And um, back in uh, my years when I was working for a conservation organization, I started an initiative called the Quest 100K, and that was to bring back 100,000 spring Chinook into the Willamette Basin once again. Mm -hmm. There was a, a four-step four process in making that happen. One of those key processes was to uh, improve water quality. Uh, there's uh, several dams, at least uh, four to six major dams on the Willamette system that prevents those fish from accessing high quality habitat in the upper watershed in the Sandy M and McKinsey basins. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, we need to recover those wild fish. And the only way to do that is to get those fish above those impoundments where they can utilize that high quality habitat. Right. and recover their populations to where we get to sweep a small population into the hatchery broodstock again. So I think that's going to be the key to recovering these fisheries is to integrate more wild fish into them, but we can't do that if we don't have robust populations of wild fish. So true, so true. Well, I'm, I'm just curious, Bob, how, how many people um, are, are getting your, uh, uh, your fishing forecasts on a, on a weekly basis? We have about 6,600 people that get the weekly uh, newsletter. Awesome. And um, yeah, it's a good a good start. Uh, our, our people, as I mentioned, are very happy with the products that we put out. Mm -hmm. um, and we have, uh, those are the folks that are getting the free version. And we have about 1,200 folks that are getting the paid version of the newsletter. So good for um, you. it's been enough to, enough to justify us to continue to work on it. And we're starting to expand to some other products. We recently started doing some webinars. People always have this continual thirst to learn how to be more efficient fishermen. Right. Um, they're not getting out into the uh, public and doing seminars. People can't go to seminars and gather those kind of numbers. So we've, we've started some 
webinar series. We did a successful fall webinar series, uh-huh. and we're going to be doing the winter webinar series starting in early January, where folks will have an opportunity to talk to three to five different fishing guides over the course of the quarter and learn how to do different strategies to pursue um, the returning winter steelhead uh, that we're going to see back into the basins here this year. Right. Well, that's awesome. Now, is that included um, in a paid membership? Is the is the webinars? Nope. We sell those as a separate product. Um, you okay. know, they take a lot of time to put a PowerPoint presentation yeah. together and you know, we compensate the fishing guide for being part of our community. And so sure. it is uh, part of our suite of products that we have on our, on our website. We also have an online tackle store. Uh, so uh-huh. between the newsletter and the webinars and the tackle store, um, we, uh, we really uh, have gone the direction of uh, um, really wanting to make uh, our subscribers feel like they're part of a community. Um, you know, the, the, the tackle that's on the website is dramatically reduced in price. Uh, we look at it more as like a benefit for being a member versus something that we're making a strong revenue stream off of. So oh, customer retention for us and satisfaction is really uh, key to uh-huh. our success over the decades. And we're going to continue to expand that store and expand our products and expand the benefits that come with membership. Absolutely. Well, cool, man. Cool. Well, Hey, I, always ask this question, almost always, um, of, of a guest that comes on the show, because we're pretty much all avid fishermen um, that are listening and, and being part of um, each and every episode. But if a little bird was to uh, come to you tomorrow morning as you're sipping your coffee and goes, Bob, today is your last fishing trip. Where would you go fishing <laughs> What would you fish for and who would you go fishing with? Good questions. Yeah. Um, now, if we were in a setting that was, you know, 25 years ago versus 2020, sure. I think those questions would differ a little bit. One of my favorite things to do was to uh, float the drift boat down the Trask River for Trask River Spring Chinook, but uh-huh. that return has become more challenging over years. But I think my favorite fishery anymore is September in Tillamook. Um, and uh, I love fishing the ocean, on a calm ocean that is, uh, when a lot of people are still fishing on the main stem Columbia for Chinook. We can go for those big fall Chinook that are just outside the jaws there. The uh-huh. south side of the South Jetty out of Tillamook Bay is a wonderful place to catch quality Chinook and lots of them if you're all your cards are laying down right. Mm-hmm. And um, I've had some incredible fishing trips with some great people. I fished with uh, Buzz Ramsey before. He's an absolute joy. Oh, I yeah. fished with uh, former Governor John Kitzhaber. He's always a, a, a wealth of knowledge on natural resource issues. And um, we have such an incredible community. And people who are uh, accessible to the general public, you know, these folks make themselves accessible and want to want to see um, uh, their fellow anglers succeed in their endeavors as well. So, sure. um, boy, yeah, just a lot of fun people to fish with. It sounds like you've had a great career and you've got, um, um, a, a, you know, a, a great future ahead of you with everything that you're doing. We just appreciate your efforts because I'm 
I'm sure that uh, you know you're doing this out of a labor of love, um, and uh, you know we uh, we need more people like you. Well, the same to you, Ted. Um, I'm uh, thankfully just recently learned about your podcast, and I've looked through some of the guests you've had and listened to some of the podcasts. A lot more to listen to, so sure appreciate uh, you being part of this community and informing uh, your audience as to what is good for everybody out there. So uh, keep up the good work. Well, thank you so much. You and I are going to have to share a, 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 a trip down a river sometime. That would be a, a that'd be an education for me, man. I'd, uh, I'd look forward to that. The pleasure would be mine. Name your day. <laughs> Very good. Well, Bob, thank you so much. Tight lines, just real quick. How do people get a hold of you um, if they want to hire you as a guide or sign up for the the uh, uh, the guide forecast. Yeah, well, thank you for that option opportunity. Uh, really easy to find us on the web www.theguidesforecast.com. Even if you just Google fishing reports in Oregon, it's really easy to find us. We rank real high on the search engines because our content is always fresh. And then simply get a hold of me by punching in Bob at theguidesforecast.com. And uh, we'll respond to everybody we have time to. It's a lot easier in the winter months is it uh, versus, say, August when we're fishing on lower Columbia, buoy 10. But really uh, excited to always engage with anglers and, um, you know, provide them with information and make them more successful. Our tagline is, we want to help you catch more fish. Love it. Love it. Well, Bob, uh, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to you and your family. We uh, hope and pray that uh, everyone stays safe and well in your world. And we're looking forward to connecting with you in the year to come. Thanks, Ted. Great to meet your acquaintance. Look forward to meeting you in person.